So next week is Easter. One of the great things about Easter is, well, there's lots of great things about Easter. One of the things that's important for me is always to take time to really just turn over the soil of my heart and make sure that it doesn't get too hard. You know, there's something about the regular cycle during the Christian calendar of Christmas and Easter that if we don't pause and take a moment to return to our first love, that it can be easy to make it just something that we go through the motions of. And so for me personally, something that I do every year is I try to make sure that my heart is prepared for Easter. And so um, that's what I want to do this morning. What we're talking about this Easter is how Easter impacts your heart. But what I think is such a beautiful picture is that Easter does change and impact our hearts. And so this, as we're talking about it, it starts with preparing our heart to see Easter in order that it might impact our hearts. And so we've got to make sure that we do some prep work. And so we've been going and working to this end on Wednesday nights. Dr. Langston has been uh, just leading us up to Easter. And uh, that this week will be the last Wednesday of that series as we're preparing for and turning our hearts that direction. And what he's been doing is just in Second Peter where Peter says, uh, essentially, he just tells them, listen, what I am seeking to do is I am seeking to stir up a sincere mind by way of reminder. And what he has been doing is stirring up a sincere mind and a sincere faith in us in relation to Easter. It's important that we prepare our hearts. And so um, even this morning, as we're, it's Palm Sunday, right? And on Palm Sunday, this is the Sunday when, when we recognize or kind of pay attention to Jesus and him entering into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And he didn't do that. He didn't come in on a charger. He didn't come as a conquering king, but he came in on a donkey, which showed that his heart is not one of a conquering king, but of a humble king who came to serve and to give of himself. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture, but even it's easy to miss that. It's easy to miss what's happening there and what that speaks to us about Easter. So this morning, what we want to do is just do that very thing. Turn over the soil of our hearts so that we make sure we don't miss him this Easter. There was a verse last week that I read, and that's in John chapter 14, verse 19. And I'll read it to kind of get us started this morning. Because it's a great verse. It says in John chapter 14, verse 19, Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. What a great verse for Easter that is. Right? What a promise that is. Because I live, you also will live. His life becomes the source of our life. I mean, is there a better verse for Easter than that? Because I live you also will live. What a promise. But what I love about this verse is that it doesn't start there. There's actually a verse, or there's a part of it before that where he says, listen, the world will not see me, but you will see me. And I think that comes first for a reason and that it's important that we are one of those that actually sees him. In order that he will live, so we will live also. And so that's really what I want to talk about today. Last week I talked about the fact that knowing him is the summit. It's the source of life. But if we want to know him, we got to start by seeing him. So that's where we're going to be this morning. So if you would grab your Bibles today or grab your phones. In fact, if you would grab your phone 
this morning. One of the great things about what we're doing with Praise.FYI is every week um, we're going to put up the message notes in advance so that uh, you might be able to follow along on your phone. One of the great things about following along on your phone is that you could just be pretending to follow along. And everybody's thinking, oh man, that person is really diligent in taking notes. And you could really be texting somebody about something else. And nobody will even know, except the people in the balcony. They can see what's on your phones, just so you're aware. Okay, anyway, so grab your phones. And once you have your phone, if you would, open it up to praise.fyi. Flip over to the portion which says message notes. And then click on message notes. And you'll see all of the scriptures that we're going to be working through today. There are times when... I plant in one scripture, and then there's times where we cover the entire breadth of scripture as we're talking through an idea, and we really want to see what does all of scripture kind of speak to this idea, and so when we do that, I might cover a lot of verses, and a lot of times afterwards, I'll have somebody who comes to me and says, hey, what was that one verse you used? And so um, uh, just to have it available to you, we will have every week just the message notes out, which includes every single verse that I'll be working through as part of that sermon. Along with that, there will be the opportunity to take notes. And at the bottom, as you saw in the video, you can just blast those off to yourself in your email so that you have them forever, okay? Uh, so stop out to praise.fyi. You'll see those message notes. Once you have it open, you'll see the first verse. If not, grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible and you don't have a phone, uh, reach and grab a Bible in front of you. Once you have it, open it up to page 810, Matthew chapter 5, which is where we're going to be beginning today. Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, one of the, well, the first big sermon of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And um, really, as part of that, a lot of people refer to this as like Jesus' manifesto. He, he lays out in it what is most important to God. And very clearly throughout Ma the, the entire Sermon on the Mount, all the way through Matthew 7, you see this idea of God is most interested in our hearts, and we've been talking about this for about a year now, and hopefully sooner or later we'll actually grasp it in our hearts. But God is mostly interested in our hearts. He says, don't just not commit adultery, don't lust in your heart. Don't just not murder, don't hate in your heart. Don't just love your friends, love your enemies in your heart. Over and over and over again, you see that this is the most important thing to him, and he brings it back over and over and over. And yet, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you have the Beatitudes, the blessed ours, right? And we just did a series on this on Wednesday night, um, and as part of that, I was reading through them, and one of them really kind of stuck with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. We want to see him. This is a huge verse for us to know and to grasp and to understand. Verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you want to see him, this is the verse to start with. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. These two ideas are tied together all through Scripture. Pure in heart, seeing God. All the way back at the very beginning when Moses in Exodus chapter 33 said to God, hey, I want to see your face. God said to him, you cannot see my face and live. You don't want to see my face. If you wanted to see my face, you'd be dead. Because you cannot see my face. I am too holy. 
holiness and seeing God are tied together in Scripture all the way back through all the way through Scripture. And even you can see the same idea in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, where it says, um, uh, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness and seeing God, these two things go together. So when you read Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and you're like, okay, so God is saying to me, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who've cleaned up their hearts, cleaned up their acts, gotten the inside to the place where then they can see God. That seems to be what it's saying. But if that's what it's saying, that's an incredibly heavy weight to carry. Right? That's a heavy weight to carry. Which means that can't be what Jesus is saying. Because he also said, I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. So that can't be what he's saying. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 20, 20, verse 9, it actually says, it says, who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am cleansed of all my sin. And the answer is, not me. <laughs> right? Like, not you. You can't say that. I can't say that. None of us can actually say, I've, I've purified my heart. My heart has, I've made my heart pure. I've, I've cleansed myself of all of my sin. None of us can say that. So this is a heavy weight if we try to approach it that way. Like, man, I got to make sure my heart is clear so that I can see God. And this is an incredible promise. Which means that there's something happening here that we don't see. And, and so I want to go back to this promise. Because this is a beautiful promise that is really interesting. In scripture, it can go both ways. So you start and you see that it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But if you were to take that verse and you were to switch around a few of the words, it would still work. And if you were to say instead, Blessed are those who see God, for they shall be pure in heart. That would work. And I'm sure I won't get into any trouble for like making the Bible say what I want it to say. Nobody's got a problem with that, right? Okay, good. Because this idea you find in Scripture. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says this literally. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the, God, the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. In other words, he can't, the world can't understand us, because remember, the world couldn't see him, and if the world couldn't see him, it's not going to be able to understand what's going on with us, right? But then it says, beloved, we are God's children's, children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. Okay, so we're not there yet. We haven't seen the full ramifications of Jesus' death and resurrection for us yet. But it does say, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Do you hear what that says? That says that there will be a day, and this is not talking about figurative, this is talking about literal. There will be a literal day when we will see him, not as a dim reflection, as in a mirror, but we will see him face to face. And on that day, when I see him face to face, get, guess what happens to me? 
I am made completely and totally holy before him. Why? Because I am made as he is. So when I see him on that day, I am made holy completely. What a beautiful thing that is. Blessed are those who see God, for they shall be pure in heart. And also you see it in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3. Here's what it says. No longer will there be anything accursed. This is, as a side note, this is actually how we know with absolute certainty that cats do not go to heaven. (laughs) I'm not sure about dogs yet. We'll take a look and see if I can find a verse. But we know no cats because there is nothing accursed. Okay? Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, verse 3. All right, bring it back. Come on, Alan. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, verse 4, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Friends, we will see him face to face, and when we see him face to face, all that we deal with now, this cursed body of death, will be gone and we no longer will struggle with the flesh which constantly tears our affections away from him. That'll all be gone and we will be completely holy before him. And those of your loved ones who have gone before and are already seeing him, they are here now. But you and I are not. We're not there yet. See, we're still seeing it but a dim reflection in the mirror. We're not there now. We're in 2 Corinthians, though. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, which says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Right? We don't see him in all of his beauty right now, in all of his glory right now. We couldn't do that and live, but... We see a dim reflection by the power of the Holy Spirit through faith. And as we see him day to day, step by step, we are made from glory to glory, one degree of glory to another. We are made holy every day. May not be complete, but friends, blessed are those who see God, for they shall be pure in heart. That's what the scriptures say. And now that makes me more hungry to want to see him. Oh, I want to see him on Easter. Oh, I want to see him in preparation. I want to see him today. Why? Because then I will be made holy. It might just be incremental for now, but I'm getting there. I want to see him. But that's not what Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 says. It doesn't go that direction. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So wait a second. I want it to be the other direction. Scripture bears out the other direction. But here, very clearly, Jesus is saying it this direction. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh man, with everything inside of us, 
We should hunger to know what it means to be pure in heart. Because then you'll see God. And then you'll be made holy. See the progression here? We got to see him. That's where it starts. But you got to be pure in heart in order for that to happen. So we got to know what that means. And thankfully there's some other verses that kind of give us a clue. James chapter 4 verse 8 gives us a clue. In James chapter 4 verse 8 it says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, if we're sinners, he says, cleanse your hands. And if you're double-minded, he says, purify your heart. So this idea of having a pure heart seems to be the opposite of having a double mind. And that's super important for us to kind of recognize. Because what is pure gold? But gold that is truly gold. Right? Pure gold is just gold that has nothing else in it but gold. It's holy gold. It is totally gold. It is completely gold. It is not alloyed with another kind of metal. It doesn't have little pieces of other metals inside of it. Pure gold is completely and totally, truly gold. And that's what, when you see the word pure here, it's talking about. It is a heart that's not partially his, but a heart that is totally and wholly after him. There's a promise that I've read in scripture multiple times over the last year, and I'll keep reading it because it's such a beautiful promise. It's in Revelation, or not Revelation, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. And I'm not going to read it today, but I'll give you the gist of it. But the reason why I've been reading it over and over and over again is because it's a beautiful promise, which was one of those promises, which is, yes and amen in Christ Jesus. In Jeremiah 31, 33, there's this promise that God will no longer write his law on tablets of stone, but he will write them on hearts, right? And the reason why that's hugely important is because in Christ Jesus, that's what he does. No longer do we conform to an external pattern, but because of what he has done inside of us, we want to live this way. He's written it on our hearts. That's a huge promise for us. We need to grasp that promise. But right after that promise, there's actually another promise. About a chapter later, and it's in Jeremiah chapter 32. And I want to read this to you, starting in verse 39. Here's what this promise says. And I will give them one heart and one way. And that idea is a whole heart, a total heart, not two hearts, not two ways, not two desires, but all of them will together have one heart, a total heart after one thing. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. What he is saying here is the heart that I'm going to give them is a total, a whole heart. Which won't be alloyed with love for something else. But it will be a, a pure heart of love 
for me. Another incredible promise to us here. But what I love is that last line. And I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not a part of it. All of it. And all of your soul. And all of your mind. What I love about this is that is what God says his love is for you with all of his heart and all of his soul. Can I just say that our God is an infinite God and all of his heart and all of his soul. He delights in doing good for you. And he rejoices over doing good for you. This is why you will never hear me say something like, God loves us all equally. And that's true. He does. I'm with that. He loves us equally. We'll say that that's the case. But the problem with that phrase, in my mind, in my heart at least, is that when my kids want something and I want to give one of them good things, the other one goes, oh, well, you better give me that too. And so then I have to split it in half and give each of them half of what I would have given them otherwise. And when we say that God loves us equally, that's the image. It's like he takes his love and he splits it up into equal sections and gives us each a part, which is not the testimony of Scripture. He doesn't love us equally. He loves us totally with all of his heart and all of his soul. And let us be clear on this one fact. If nothing else, let us be clear on this fact. He is an infinite God. But he has limited himself in this way to say all of my heart, all of my soul will be to a specific people in a specific place at a specific time. That is an incredible thought for us. He says, I love you in that way, and I rejoice over you. And you pick it up all through Scripture. Isaiah 62, verse 5. As a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. He calls himself a bridegroom. And what is a bridegroom but someone who has decided to limit himself in such a way that his love is fully for one, the bride. And so then you have Zephaniah 3.17. And if you don't know this verse, you should have it memorized. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. And he will rejoice over you with gladness. And he will quiet you by his love. And he will exalt over you with loud singing. Do you hear the image here of a bridegroom loving his bride? And on my wedding day, 14 years ago, on this stage, my eyes were for one. And some of you were there, I think, because my eyes were for one, my bride. And I saw a picture from the wedding night, or the wedding day that night, or last night. And it was this picture of 
this moment where at the reception, Liz sang a song. And oh man, I was wrecked because my eyes were for her and for her alone. See, God sees himself, and you see this through scripture, as the bridegroom who has limited himself in love towards us. But as a bridegroom, he has bridegroom rights over our hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Or verse 2, let's start in verse 2. Paul saying, For I feel a divine jealousy for you. And I want you to hear all the same language that we've been talking about here. All the same language so you can hear this all through it. For I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. A sincere and total, whole devotion to Christ Jesus. He says, I betrothed you. And he said, man, now I've got this divine jealousy for you because I'm afraid that your heart is getting deceived and you're starting to run after things that are not him. Don't do that. I have divine jealousy for you. I betrothed you to him. And so why would you chase after something lesser? Your heart, which was total for him, now seems to be, well, I guess you could call it adulterated. It's not whole anymore. It's not pure anymore. It's not unadulterated anymore. Now there's something else that's getting mixed in there. And this is why Jesus said, by the way, you cannot love both God and money. Right? Like you can't have two loves. You know what that's called? Adultery. And any bridegroom would be completely right and would and should have jealousy over a bride who comes to the wedding day with love for someone else in her heart. And God says, I see myself as your bridegroom, and if you come with anything less than the totality of your heart, it is adultery. So he says, see yourself in that same way when you think of your heart. Make sure that your love is totally and completely for me. That passage I read in James chapter 4 verse 8. I want to back up because the passage doesn't start in verse 8. I want you to hear all the same language here again in verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. What he is saying here is God wants all of your heart. And if you come to him in that way, with the totality of your heart, with the wholeness of your heart, then you will see.
Matthew 5 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, the total in heart. Not having half a love for him and a half a love for something else. Not having greatest treasure of him and then greatest treasure of someone else. But being totally his in our hearts, then we will see him. The reason why this is important is because I do want to see him. In Matthew chapter 16, we have a picture of what happens if our heart is not pure before him. Last week, I referenced this idea. This week, I want to just drive it home so you can see it just very plainly. Matthew chapter 16, some religious leaders come to Jesus. Here's what it says. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came. And to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. Unless it's the Ozark. Then there will be snow in April. And in the morning, it will be stormy today. For the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and he departed. So these religious leaders come to Jesus and they say, show us a sign, Jesus. And Jesus says to them, your eyes work, don't they? Because you look up in the sky and you see a stormy cloud. Your eyes work. He said, and your brain works too. Because you see that stormy cloud and your brain goes, I know how to interpret that stormy cloud. Stormy cloud means that there will be a storm. He said, so your eyes work and your brains work. And all that does is condemn you. Because if your eyes work and you can see a stormy cloud, and your eyes work and you see the miracles that I have been doing, God-e miracles, if it's a stormy cloud, these miracles are God-e miracles. Your eyes work, you see them. And he said, I know your brain works because you're able to interpret the clouds. But you look at this miracle and somewhere in here it's breaking down. Because God-y miracles means that I am God. Or at the very least, God-y. Right? Like I'm from him. That's the very least you could say. But there's some breakdown and it's not your eyes and it's not your brain. What is it? It's your heart. Because you are an evil and adulterous nation, he says. You have adultery in your hearts, he says. And what adulterous bride wants to see her groom? So when I came as your bridegroom, you do not want to see me. Oh, you pretend like you do. You say the things like you do, show us a new sign. He says, I won't show you a new sign except, except 
the sign of Jonah. Tell me, what is the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah is the cross and death, three days in the grave, and then rising again. And Jesus said, you will see the cross and you will see my resurrection. And what that will do for you is open your heart. And it will be a sign. But it will be a sign of whether or not you wanted to see me all along or not. Because if you want to see me, you'll understand the depths of what that means. But if you don't, you'll look at it and you'll think that's foolishness. Because that's what Paul said. So the sign of Jonah will open up your heart and I'll be able to see what's going on there. You'll see the cross. You'll see the resurrection. And how you respond to that will show whether or not you wanted to see me after all. You might pretend you do. But how you see those things will indicate what's really going on in your heart. So Jesus says, I'll leave you and I'll depart depart. I'm not revealing myself in any other way but the cross and the resurrection. And when you see that, we'll see what's happening inside your heart. Because here's the thing. Our God delights, rejoices in doing good to us. He rejoices over us. He exalts over us with singing. He quiets us with his love. The infinite God limited himself in love towards us, all of his heart and all of his soul. And he said, in the same way that I have loved you, I ask you now to respond in love towards me. And he said, I will reveal that to you by staying on the cross until your heart is one. Until your heart is one and your heart is one. But it will also reveal what's going on inside of your heart is the only sign you're going to get. Jesus on the cross, his death and his resurrection, and how we respond to that shows what's inside of our hearts. Do we really want to see him or not? This is where we begin. And that's why over and over and over again, I come back to the same verse. It's a beautiful verse, and I think it's another verse that each and every one of us should memorize. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, says the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere love. Where is our love this morning? Is it 
wholly for him? Is it totally his? Is it all for him? If you would stand with me this morning. Here's how I think we need to respond. Because he has done great things. And the cross and the grave and his death and his resurrection speaks to that. And that's the only sign we're going to get. And how we see that opens our heart before him. And he can see exactly what our response is. He can see exactly what we want truly. And this morning he would say, love the God who loves you. Not equally, totally. Every bit of him is for you. He rejoices over you with singing. He exalts over you. He quiets you with his love. The limitless God has limited himself as your bridegroom. And he says as my bride, love me the same. How we love him shows what's in our hearts. It shows what he has done in us. And so this morning as he rejoices over us, may we rejoice over him. And as he exalts over us, may we exalt over him. For he is our bridegroom today. And this he would say to you, love me the same See the sign of Jonah. I stayed on the cross until your heart was one. And that promise is for you today. Love him with every bit of your heart.
worthy of all praise. You are God and God alone. And our hearts are totally and completely for you. We love you and praise you. Hallelujah. 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 Each and every one of us always has to come to the cross. Each and every one of us has to face this right here. Is the cross and the resurrection, is it true? Is it real? And did he do what the scripture said he does? And each and every one of us, if we want to see him and know him, must take a step of faith and say, oh God, I want you to be Lord. I want you to be Lord of it all. I want not just a part, but every bit of me to be yours. And so I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And I put my faith totally in him. And if you're here this morning, scriptures are clear about what that step looks like. It's confessing Jesus Christ, speaking it out. Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. Believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that the scriptures are true of him and you will be saved. This is what scripture says each of us must face. So this morning we have an opportunity to face the cross, to face what Jesus Christ did, to face the sign of Jonah, and we have an opportunity to respond. And depending on how we respond to that, we will see him or not. This morning, that opportunity is for all of us. If you're in here and you've never made that decision, today you can begin by confessing him as Lord of your life, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to have, give you an opportunity. I'm going to pray. And as I do, I'm just going to ask you to pray along with me. And when I confess him as Lord of my life, I encourage you to do the same right now. Let's do that. Father, we do come to you as those who want hearts totally and completely holy after you, not a part oh God, not an alloyed love but an unadulterated love for you and for you alone, oh God. A heart pure for you, totally for you, completely for you. And so God, right now I declare you as Lord of my life. You are Lord, you get it all, it's all yours, oh God. Do with me as you see fit today, you are Lord. I confess you as Lord. And I do believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that the scriptures are true of him, and he is who he said he was. That is what it speaks to. So I gaze at the sign of Jonah, and I don't stumble over it. But I respond, and I know that I will see you. I will see you. Through that process, I will be made wholly complete. Thank you for that today. Father, for all of us, May this Easter not slip past us without being impacted afresh and anew by the sign of Jonah. The cross, the grave, the resurrection. Because you live, we also will live. We thank you for it. We praise you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're in here and you need prayer for anything, this prayer team would love love, love to pray with you this morning. And if you're in here and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, as others head out those doors, would you head down to the front? They would love to pray with you and also to talk to you about the next steps. Make sure to be back this Friday for Good Friday service. This is always such a powerful service and you don't want to miss it. This Friday for the Good Friday service, join us for that. If you're a guest, 
make sure to join us for Pizza with the Pastor. If you need prayer for anything this morning, this prayer team would pray with you right now and throughout the week this morning. God bless you.